Harry Potter. Oh, Harry Potter. 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 And the Half Drunk Podcast. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Harry Potter and the Half Drunk Podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Emily. And this week, we are yet again going back into the Deathly Hollows for our film discussion of part... Well, I, this gets confusing because it's not part two. It's not the second part of the movie, but it's our part two of discussing it. Yeah, we're still in part one. Next time's going to be real confusing because we'll finish up part one and we'll jump into part two. We're going to have an intermission in between, but it'll be fine. Like I said, like a few weeks ago, just consider them one big film because if not, it's just going to get real confusing for everybody. (laughs) Yeah, I'm already confused. But yeah, so we're going to do that. But first, we are going to talk about our drink as always. Yeah, so this week is another listener suggestion for our quarantine drink series. Not our bonus episodes, but our drink series that we're kind of doing. And we are drinking a Corona this week. <laughs> Very appropriate. Coronavirus! Yeah. So I actually got the Corona light because. It's light, you know. And it's lighter than a Corona. I, it's lighter than already one of the lightest beers ever. Exactly. I'm like, it's trying to compete with my Michelob Ultra, so how to go for it. And then I have been doing HelloFresh, and this is not an ad. I just actually really love HelloFresh. And I got a little extra lime in my HelloFresh box this week, so saved that for my Corona. Planned ahead. Look at me go. The virus can't take all of my productivity away, so I've got some lime with my corona. I mean, I'm not even going to lie. I'm not like a huge beer person just because I try to eat gluten-free, right? Um, I hate when I have to say that, but (laughs) (laughs) so that's why I'm not a huge beer person, but I really like corona because it reminds me of like a good pool day or being at the beach and having a lime. Yeah, it reminds me of something else too. It smells really bad. I mean, it it's it's just I don't know. I I like Corona. It it doesn't hurt my stomach as much as other beers. It's just a fun beer. It's also one of Karn's favorites, so I think I really kind of equivalent it with our early dating life because he'd always have Corona. But I'm into it. I think naming the virus after this beer is sad. <laughs> I don't, it wasn't after this beer, but I think well, it wasn't named. Yet. But the coincidence of it having the same name is a bit disappointing. I'm interested if their sales have gone up or down in in reaction. Well, remember there were some dumbasses who were boycotting Corona because they didn't want to get the virus <laughs> from the beer, and that's a different conversation for a different day. Why those people were doing that. But honestly, I feel like their stock has probably gone up because every time I get onto TikTok, oh gosh, again, I hate when <laughs> <laughs> you just said that sentence. I hate that I just said that. <laughs> every time I get onto TikTok or I get onto Instagram, people are drinking Coronas like left and right. So yeah, I think honestly, in the long run, it's going to help, though I don't think that you know, whenever this is over and I start going back out to Mexican restaurants again on the regular 
which sometimes I would deviate away from a margarita and order a cerveza. Usually I go for a Pacifico. So I still don't like this as much as I like a Pacifico, but I still am with you with it being light and refreshing and kind of just reminds me of summertime. And let's just hope that we will be able to sit poolside or beachside and enjoy one of these this summer. Yeah, I mean, it's, fingers crossed. you know, it's summer in a beer, if you will. And we all could use a little bit of sunlight at this point. So, yeah, I mean, I'll probably drink one poolside just because my in-laws have a pool. But yeah, I, I don't know. We just got extended for our shelter in place. So who, who knows? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but... Just first and foremost, I really hope that everybody is staying sane and staying safe. And while this is super frustrating, trust me, I relate to you 110% on that. Just, you know, respect other people and protect other people. And we're doing our part and we're helping out our healthcare heroes, if you will, by staying home. So Yeah, I mean, I think it's... You know, it's interesting when there's a lot of people who are boycotting and protesting this shelter at home, and I get that everybody wants to go back to work, but we aren't doing this for ourselves. Right. We're doing this for our healthcare system, and we're trying to prevent our healthcare facilities from becoming overrun, and they're already low on supplies, so we're just trying to do our part to make sure that we can help our healthcare employees as much as possible and also you know like not all of us live with older relatives or people who are immune compromised already but a lot of us know people who are and just think of those people whenever it gets hard to stay inside your house because we're just trying to do all that we can to prevent the spread i mean just for example like i live with two at-risk people because they are elderly And one has cancer and I have really bad asthma. So we've been shut in (laughs) for a while. I did venture to my parents' house, but they have been quarantined for six weeks. So, uh, and I needed to help them move. But yeah, just do your part and stay in. And that's why we have bonus episodes. We can help entertain you. But let's just dive right in because I feel like this might be a bit of a doozy. But, I mean, I will preface with this. Overall, I think this part of the film did a decent job, but this little section of the book compared to the film is where they did leave out some critical things. Would you agree? Yes, I agree that there definitely were critical things that were left out, but I still feel like in the grand scheme of things, we still got the same message across, and there were other things that were added that were interesting choices but all in all I feel like I was pretty pleased with how this went. There are some like really really sweet moments that I forgot about in this entire part but we'll we'll get to it we'll get to it. So basic fuck almost knocked my drink over. I am thriving. (laughs) So basic fuck. (laughs) So basically I'm done this episode is over. Um okay. Take two. So, in the last segment, we left off, and the trio had just found Creature, and he had told them the whole Locket story, and Harry sent him to go find Mundungus. So, after that, we move to a shot of the Hogwarts Express, and we see Neville and Jenny sitting together, and there's Death Eaters swirling around the train, so we know, basically, the gist of the news that 
Harry reads from the Daily Prophet at this point in the book. But then Death Eaters come onto the train and they're searching for Harry and I just want to like talk about Cormac's my father will hear about this line. I have this exact same note. They had to get (laughs) that in. Where does he get off being Draco Malfoy? I don't understand. They had to get that in. You know how I really strive to get the the greater good line in? Right. I, I think they really were just striving at this point to get... My father will hear about this. And since, like, Draco's really not in this one that much, they just had to get McCormick to do it. I, yeah, I don't know. But I, I do love we get the Neville, hey, losers, he's not here. Yes, queen. Yeah. Neville is coming into his own. He's ruling the school. I... I I'll just say this like I live for a thriving Neville it's one of my <laughs> like all-time favorite character arcs just him coming from uh guys we, we shouldn't be out of bed to like hey losers standing up to death eaters like y'all can kiss my ass that honestly that's Neville Longbottom 110% in the Deathly Hollows. yeah and I'm just so into it I'm I'm so into the little kid that got bullied being the ultimate badass Yep, we definitely stand for Neville's character arc. But then we see the Ministry and their Harry Potter Undesirable Number 1 propaganda newspapers, and Thick News is addressing the Ministry, saying he will restore the Ministry to its former glory, Yeah, make the Ministry great again by conducting <laughs> employee evaluations. And we see the wizard who Harry disguised himself as kind of in the background, so we know that he is a high-ranking Ministry official. Right. But then we get this, like, weird scene with Mundungus where he's hiding from Snatchers in either Diagon or Nocturne Alley, it looks like. I don't really understand what the point of that was. I kind of I kind of like this montage. So this was one that I watched and then I went back and watched again, just from the ministry part all the way through Mundungus. And I think that this in, the entire point, yes, is to show where he was, like, hiding out and selling shit. But also, it's to show the turmoil, because you see the Snatchers bringing up this wizard in the ministry, and then they cut to Mundungus, and just around him is just chaos, and people sneaking around, and Harry's picture is up, and it's just really dark. It's shot, like, through a really... I mean, you could probably speak to this more than I obviously can, but it's it's (laughs) shot through, like, a really dark lens, it looks like, and everything's... It's... It's just all, everything looks like nighttime, and it's really depressing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think they definitely captured the tone of the, like, chaos and just craziness that is happening, but I was just confused if we were trying to show Mundung is hiding because he's doing something illegal or because he is muggle-born or I, I don't know. But anyways, we're keeping tabs on Mundungus, but then we are back at Grimmauld Place, and Ron and Hermione are playing the piano. Oh, and this part just, <laughs> you know me, and it just, I love it so, 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 so much. And that's why we posted it on our social media, because we both love this part, and Ron's little smirk to her, it's just so good. I'm glad that they added these little itty-bitty snippets into their relationship in, finally, in this movie. There's actually a lot throughout what we're going to talk about. But then Harry's also playing with the snitch, and Hermione comes over and tells him that they have flesh memories. But then a creature pops back with Mundungus and, and with Dobby. And Dobby's wearing Tim's. Can we just, like, take yes, a which- second to highlight that? Like, Dobby just came from, like, the streets of New York, and he's wearing Tim's. 
<laughs> well, that's what Ron says when he greets Dobby. He says, wicked trainer. <laughs> I love it. Bless him. But yeah, so Dobby comes in and he's like, yeah, I saw a creature and I thought it was weird. So I just came with him. And then I heard that he said Harry Potter. So here I am. Which, I mean, I have mixed feelings about because I, you know how much I loved Creature's little like redemption right. arc, but not even really. It's like a really confusing, twisted complex type of thing here but I also love that we give Dobby some more screen time before he ultimately has his death scene. I feel like this scene was kind of like a redemption kind of screen time for leaving him out of such critical moments over the past few films and also like you said they really did not go into detail with Creature's character arc. Right. So they have to bring in a familiar face that is warm and kind of lightens the mood because it would be weird at this point to have creature in an apron like making dinner for them and being so polite you know i mean cause, because they didn't show that they showed him any respect or kindness to make him get to that point yeah exactly exactly so why all of a sudden would creature be working to help harry other than the fact that he was ordered to and does the bare minimum you know, but I also feel like if they would have just kept things the way they perfectly were, then we wouldn't have to go through this like racking of our brains. Of, why is Dobby here? Yeah. I mean, I love Dobby, but like, why what? is Dobby a nocturnally? Like, and right, like he's supposed to be at Hogwarts. Um, I mean, did Snape send him of all of the house elves to go to Nocturne Alley? I think well, not. you got to keep in mind they never showed him at Hogwarts in the films at all. So if you're just a film fan, then you <laughs> so. Dobby's just, like, randomly just hanging out, yeah. walking around Nocturne Alley, showing off his new kicks. Exactly. Who who the hell knows what that man's life is up to, you know? Very interesting. Right. But then Dong tells them about the locket and that Umbridge has it, but they didn't keep the toad part in, unfortunately, and instead he sees a newspaper lying next to him and says, there she is right there. So he points at her on the newspaper, and obviously they all see that it's Umbridge. And then it just cuts right to them trying to sneak into the ministry. Yeah. And we get no preparation, no warning, and we don't get the Lupin fight scene. Yeah. Lupin is completely left out of this film, which is completely unfortunate because as much as we hate this character arc, it is very important to show because it was a huge thing that happened. We hate this this moment in his character yeah, arc. This moment in his character arc. But also I hate that they don't show them sneaking out of Grimald Place. I hate that they just like automatically show them, oh, they're obviously prepared for this, right? Like, no, they're not. Like, they're still right. teenagers. And they don't show like the Death Eaters that are stalking them on the corner and like constantly watching them. Right. Also, I I hate that they just, and I mentioned this last episode, I, I hate that they just like stun the ministry people like obviously they're gonna wake up and they're gonna still go to work and then you're like you're gonna run into shit right which we see later yeah which we see later i do think though that once we get into the ministry and we get that cool <laughs> that like cool little jokey moment between ron and harry when they're in disguise and they're like oh we have to flush ourselves down like i i really liked that moment and then when we get to the ministry i think this was like actually done pretty well yeah, when they meet at the new statue, I think that is all, like, really great. And I'm glad yeah. that they kept that part in there and, like, went to the extent to actually, like, put that statue in the ministry. Because they didn't have to do that. Right. Like, that could easily be something no, that they, they cut costs and left that out of the movie. 
Exactly. And I also, I I think we need to really highlight these actors definitely had to study our golden trio because their reactions and everything is just spot on. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. For sure. And I mean, we'll get to that later with Helena Bottom Carter when, I mean, she just blows it out of the water as Hermione, as her, as, you know, the confusingness (laughs) that it is. But these three actors did a phenomenal job. Yeah, seriously. In impersonating Perhaps them. To them. I was thinking about that when I was watching it. I, like, I had to remind myself that it wasn't actually Harry, Ron, and Hermione in disguise yeah. being those people. It was actually other actors. Especially, especially the actress that was impersonating Emma Watson. She did an amazing job. Oh, I agree. An amazing job. I do think that it was very interesting, though, how they, when they casted these people to be the people that they are impersonating... They didn't exactly look how they were described in the book. They looked more like the Golden Trio. So, like, Mephalda kind of looked more like Hermione, and Rag Catermole had, like, red hair, and he was taller and pale, and Roncorn was more like Harry. So that's not exactly how they were described in the book, because Roncorn's supposed to be really tall, and then Red just supposed to be kind of shorter. So, I don't know. You know, I, I think that probably helped a lot with the audience visualizing them as those people in disguise. But... Anyways, uh, then they continue, and they're on the elevator, and this part is basically the same as well, with the Axley coming up and threatening Ron slash Catermole to stop by his office and to make it stop raining, or else his wife's trial is not going to end well, so Ron's like, my wife, my wife's on trial. Did you try, but he's also like, did you try an umbrella? <laughs> <Yeah>. Like, <laughs> so spot on, Ron, Rupert Grant, like, so good. So then we get the Umbridge run in, and she takes Hermione with her. And then we get Harry going up to Umbridge's office. We do get the highlight of the Weasley twins' products, which I really like, Mm -hmm. since they're integral in them getting through the ministry in this moment. And we see the propaganda that says they are striving for the perfect pure-blood society, which is freaking disgusting. Which, please gag me. But then we also get Harry going into the office and seeing the order and I think what really drives it home for the audience is seeing Dumbledore's image with a big red X through it. Dumbledore's and Sirius is. So not only does he find yes. Arthur's file, he finds like basically everyone who's he finds the order in the order. Yeah. But I think that really kind of drives it home for the audience. My only, my only complaint is while, yes, Umbridge is 100% evil, and we kind of explained this in an Instagram comment this week of just how evil this bitch is, I feel like this scene kind of infers that she's a Death Eater as well, and it's important to remember she's not. She does align herself with some of their views, but overall, like, and yes, I do think she'd would follow Voldemort, but she's not a Death Eater. Right. I think she's Death Eater by extension because she does, like, Death Eater's bidding. Right. But when it comes down to it, I think she is just evil and she likes power. So... Yeah. She's a power-hungry bitch. And other than that, but this scene would be kind of confusing if you didn't know that. Right. I don't... I mean, I don't know. That's just how I took it. I'm also... I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I also get really pissed when they leave the invisibility cloak out of scenes that I feel like it's just... Yeah. It was really important that he was had this inv- invisibility cloak or he wouldn't have, like, gotten out of Umbridge's office in the book. So the fact that he just, like, walks out the door and doesn't take Mad-Eye's eye... Right. 
I think that and the fact that the invisibility cloak is literally shoved down our throats from book one. Well, yeah, because we are in Deathly Hollows. It is a Deathly Hollow. It is important. It's going to be super important. And I remember the first time I read this book being like, holy shit, like... He owns that. <laughs> right. He has possessed a Deadly Hollow is, since he was 11 years old and he didn't even know it. What the heck? Bless him. Like, he's related to the brothers. Like, who would have ever thought that? Oh, J.K. Rowling, because she's a fucking genius. Like, exactly. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that's a very lost opportunity that would have been super easy to do. Right. You know? I mean, we say that. I mean, yeah. I don't think it would be that hard as far as, like, CG-wise to make him disappear off the screen. But... Well, I mean, they did it in the first film, yeah, so you know the why could they not do it as technology got so much better by the last film? It, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, I don't know. But then we were back on the elevator, and Ron slash Catermole gets on, and they go to the courtroom, so Ron is actually there for this scene in the courtroom. And they forget each other, though. I love that they forget each other. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which, I guess it makes sense for him to be in the courtroom since his quote-unquote wife is on trial. Right, and Reg in the book is on his way there. Yeah. So it's kind of, like, nice to have that call back in the film because if you've read the book, you're like, yeah, well, he's supposed to be down there anyway. Right. So. But we didn't see all of the Muggleborns waiting and being tortured outside of the courtroom. We did see someone being, like, walked away, escorted out, but there wasn't that, like, terror before you went in and you don't see the Dementors straight away. But then, as soon as they walk into the courtroom, they see that Umbridge is wearing the locket, a little contrary to how it goes down in the book, where they don't see it until she leans over. But they're watching Mrs. Cattermole being cruelly interrogated before Harry just can't take it anymore, and he calls Dolores on her bullshit and says, You're lying, Dolores, and one mustn't tell lies. And of course, at that moment, like, his face starts anamorphing back Which into is his... interesting that he does and. The other two don't at the same time, but yeah, he tr- of course he changes back into himself so she can see that it's Harry saying that. And the drama. Oh yeah, the, so the drama of sassy. I'm not the mad drama. about the dramatics. I am not. I I love it. I loved it. And then he stuns her, and Hermione snatches the locket, and then the Dementors come swooping over them, and they are like running. For the elevator and they stun Yaxley and Harry has to cast Patronus and they get out of the elevator. Hermione is now herself and Mary Cattermall is all over Ron, will not get off him. She kisses yes, him. Yes, she is. He has to pry her off of him and then her actual real husband walks in and it's awkward as hell. So her actual husband's pissed. And Hermione's pissed. And he's like naked too. He walks in with like underwear like what the I fuck? Don't- Oh, God. It's just, it's so good. And honestly, it just kind of reflects the novel, I feel like, so well. Yeah, they come out and Reg shows up. But then Yaxley comes out of the elevator and people start yelling, that's Harry Potter, that's Harry Potter. And they start recognizing him. And there's all of these guards in the ministry, which, correct me if I am wrong, because Lord knows I have been wrong and I have been called out on it. But... I don't remember there being guards besides Aurors in the Ministry. So this has to be like a new established thing that the Voldemort Death Eater regime has brought into the Ministry. Like, did you see, they look like fucking soldiers walking around the Ministry. Yeah, I mean, from my past experience, and again, this is a very minor detail, so I obviously don't remember. And I've obviously read 
all of the books up until this point and dove deep in, this was not a thing to my knowledge. It was literally the Aurors. They had a security guard who would like monitor people going in and out. And other than that, I feel like it was pretty relaxed, but it, it makes sense. So basically we have like Nazis in the ministry. Yep. I mean, here's, here's the thing, dude, like when something of this magnitude takes power, I feel like automatically your security goes up because you're so worried about losing said power. And again, I mean, I know I had that like mental breakdown in the last episode, <laughs> episode, and for that, again, I apologize. I don't even know what you're talking about, but okay. It's just fucking, it's just fucking terrifying. It, I mean, just the fact that there's exponential more security and so many people like pointing out this beacon of hope they once held so that he could get caught again I think this scene was so 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 good and also it was one of the last scenes they shot weirdly yeah of this film so right but so then they're running and he actually is following them close behind and first Harry like jumps into a fireplace and disapparates but then like he goes first like he is separate from Ron and Hermione and then Ron and Hermione right. go, and he actually jumps in, which just confuses me how they all ended up at the same place. Which, in the books, everyone just grabs onto Hermione because, of course, they do. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But then they, they end up in the forest. That's the same as the book. Ron is splinched. They have the locket. Yeah, they have the locket. Hermione and Harry are casting the enchantments. Pretty much the same as the book. And then, like, the next few minutes is Ron listening to his radio, him getting pissed off, and them having to walk because Ron can't disapparate. But before that, we get a scene of them all trying to destroy the locket, which I thought was interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, obviously right. it doesn't work, so... But I think it was interesting that we did see it, because in the book, we don't really get them, like, all trying to... Well, it's just Harry and Hermione taking turns at it. But then they decide that Afterwards, they obviously aren't destroying it, so they're going to wear it to keep it safe. And this whole time, like, Ron's face is not hiding his thoughts at all. Like, he is pretty pissed. And he's disappointed that Harry doesn't know how to destroy it. And he even says that. And he's like, it's strange, doesn't it, that Dumbledore didn't tell you what to do? So we kind of already see the tension building here as well. Yeah. I feel like, and here's just an, an audience standpoint looking at the actors... Emma Watson and Daniel Radcliffe have this incredible chemistry. I mean, you can see it from the very beginning, like the first film. It's just it's just how it is. And then her and Rupert Grant also have this chemistry, but it, it just feels a little bit different. And I think as an audience member at this point, you're seeing them destroy the locket and you're like, okay, like they're just trying to like come for the greater good. But then Rupert Grant comes in with this like smoldering face sort of and you're like I get it yeah I get it like you're pissed because they do have this chemistry and you can read that so 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 well and yeah and then like it just escalates from there and this is just the first glimpse that we get right and his face his like facial expressions through this entire thing are it's just he is so talented just in this thing and I mean I know it's not hard to make yourself look mad but it is hard to make yourself look like a scorned lover when he wasn't even a lover and just to be like completely 100% betrayed and like slowly and slowly it builds and Daniel Radcliffe 
his whole like approach to like, I mean, he's being an idiot. Like, why is he listening to the radio all the time? And then of course, you know, Emma Watson, Hermione shoots back with like, well, it calms him. And just being completely Switzerland in this entire thing, a Twilight reference, which I apologize for. But yeah, I, I just feel like this entire montage is so well done. It's just, it's just so good. And I, I think it can only happen when you've had actors who have been together for as long as the three of them had been to kind of feed off of each other. And then, of course, we get my least favorite part. Wait, what are you talking about? When Ron leaves. Well, I feel like we have a lot to talk about before that. Do we? Yeah. So, like you said, Ron is listening to the radio, and we hear in the background about Dean Thomas and that he's traveling with some goblins and talks before um, Harry has another little lovely Voldemort vision where he sees that Krugmorovich is being basically interrogated by Voldemort. Voldemort goes into his brain like he does in the book and sees Grindelwald, though he doesn't know who Grindelwald is, and then he kills Grigorovich. Oh, true, true. And then Hermione yeah. catches him on that, and Harry has to tell her about the vision and how Voldemort's after something that Grigorovich used to have. And then that's when Harry starts getting sassy with her and says that she's not doing enough, and she's like, take the locket off. So he, like, stops being his extra sassy self. He quits being book Harry for five <laughs> minutes. Right. But then Hermione hears like a twig snap and goes looking around in the woods. And while that's happening, Harry's also listening to the radio and hears that Snape is now the headmaster. So we do get that information about Hogwarts. Then Hermione actually sees Snatchers in the woods. She sees that they can't like see her, but that they smell her perfume. And she tells Harry, they smelled my perfume, which, okay, girl, I mean, wear your perfume if you want, but we're all in quarantine over here, and I am definitely not wearing perfume, because I'm not gonna waste my time. I mean, yeah, here's my thing. I actually, yeah, I mean, this was just kind of all in that scene when I was, like, Ron leaves, but, because I feel like this all leads up to it. Bitch, I have been in quarantine for, I don't even know how many weeks, and I've worn perfume one time. I also have a signature scent that I've had since I was, like, literally 17 years old, you are not wearing perfume when you're camping. Right. So it's just, I feel like this was just a plot device because when they come back from, like, seeing the Snatchers, Ron, like, sees them and... And also, like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to cut you off. I really am. But, like, Hermione's not wearing perfume. Can we just, like, say that right now? Right. Like, Hermione as a character packed that bag that literally expands to no end. And I... I I 100% guarantee you she did not be like, oh, let me throw my Chanel number five in there. Like, she did not do that. Right. Like, that was never a thought. So, uh, like I said, I think it was just a plot device that we would get Ron's reaction. And it's whole just, because we need that dialogue where Harry's saying, as much as I like your perfume, Hermione, maybe next time don't wear it. And we can see how that can be misconstrued in Ron's head when he's already 100%. Kind of like suspecting something. And it just, like, fuels the tension. So then, yeah, like you said, they're walking on foot because Ron is too weak to apparate. And we see him trailing behind Harry and Hermione, wearing the locket, and he just looks unwell. Like, he's not okay. He just looks pissed off. Like, have you ever been so mad that literally, like, whoever you're with, their breathing infuriates you? Like, that's how he looks. Yeah, at this he point. is not happy. And then the next scene that we see him, he, like, is talking to Hermione alone and says, Harry doesn't know what he's doing, does he? And she's like, well, none of us do. 
and obviously Ron is still obsessed with listening to the radio about lists of names of wizards who have either disappeared or who are dead. And then Hermione is cutting Harry's hair when she realizes that the sword of Gryffindor is goblin-made and because of it taking in the power of whatever it touches can destroy horcruxes. And at least they have this moment where Hermione has a stroke of brilliance where she didn't get to school scrimger on wizarding law before. But eh, I don't know. It, it, It is a little problematic when we don't talk about how there's a fake sword or that Jenny, Neville, and Luna try to steal it out of Snape's office. And we just miss the entire conversation they had with the portrait. I mean, to me, this is kind of them again making up for all the times they didn't have Hermione have these brilliant moments. And it just seems like they are trying to make up a lot for lost time in this snippet. Again, I, I love this movie and I think this is the best um, following the book-wise of all of it, but yeah, it just, something just felt a little flat here. Although, I, I do really like Daniel Radcliffe freaking out when, when she's cutting his hair and he's like, what? No, 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 no. Tell me now. <laughs> right, right. Maybe you can tell me now. So as they're like discussing all of this and Hermione's telling Harry all of this information that she's realizing and Harry's, it's dawning on Harry what she's talking about. Ron starts his little attention show by taking the lights with his deluminator and says, yeah. I'm still here. But you two carry on. Don't let me spoil the fun. I 100% get it. At this point, everything's <laughs> you building. You 100% always stand for him. I will. I will. I mean, I get it. If I was stuck in this situation with the girl I loved and my best friend, and I felt like they were somehow conspiring against my back because I was wearing a horcrux, because... I am not evil, and I'm affected by said Horcrux. But it wasn't always when he was wearing the Horcrux, because we see him sometimes when he's not wearing it and still looking, like, pissed off. And also, like, these are your best friends. If you really (laughs) think that something's going on, do you really think that you wouldn't, like, have a conversation with them before you just blew up on them? He's a Pisces. He's a Pisces. Yeah, we both are, too, and I would still have a conversation with you before I just walked out and left you forever. So, I don't yeah. know. It just, it's it's a lot. But it basically goes down how it did in the book, except we don't have Hermione throwing up a protective spell between her and Harry, which just, like, stimulates Rod more. And right. he's like, so are you coming or not? Because Harry's like, just go if you're unhappy, because Ron is basically saying, thought you knew what you were doing. And Harry's like, well, I thought you knew what you signed up for. And all that's really great. And then right before Ron leaves, he's like, yeah, I get it. I saw you two the other night. And then he walks out. And then I cried, and I had to pause the movie. <laughs> I cannot. I, I actually cannot. I hate Ron in this moment. So I'm like, fucking leave. Not helping anything. I mean, I won't lie. I I, I honestly, I 100%, I, I do get mad at him in this moment. Because I'm like, really? That's your best friend. Like, you're really going to abandon him and act like you didn't know what you signed up for when you've been his friend and you've seen how problematic being his friend is for seven years at this point? Really? Like, he told you everything. You know all that he knows. Yeah. Honestly. But, I mean, over this next, like, montage of days, we do get this sweet Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson dance, which I know is added in, but I love it. Is it sweet or is it cringy? 
Because no, I, I feel like I, it's really weird. I love it. I think it shows that, like, he's he's her friend and he's trying to cheer her up. Which he succeeds at, but it's still just, like, he, he takes the locket off of her and then he, like, takes her by the hand and is staring deeply into her eyes before he just starts awkwardly, like, swaying their arms back and forth. And it just... I don't think it would ever happen. That's not <laughs> no, this. I, I completely disagree. I see it as just a friend trying to cheer up another friend because the love of her life just left. And she's obviously sad. She's also affected by the Horcrux. I mean, this man is a Horcrux, so he's not affected in the same way. Yes, he is. He's just a man, and he's not in love with him, but... I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. Like, I, I see where it can be cute, but it also just kind of, like, makes me uncomfortable and makes me want to look away. I think the music choice is not my fave. I would have had something that's, like, very 90s. I would have rather it been, like, Emma Watson, Perks of Being a Wallflower, dancing right, to like, Sweet Caroline. Or them dancing to, like, Nirvana or something. Because, you know, in this moment, like, Hermione's, like, definitely in her feels. So... And it is the 90s, so there we are. It is the 90s, so everyone should have been listening to Nirvana. (laughs) Smells like Teen Spirit with all of them right now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. I don't know. I like this moment. I think it's sweet. Okay, well, agree to disagree. I can, like, appreciate it, but also I'm not going to say that it's not awkward. But then they are, like, just bouncing around, and they get to one spot, and Hermione tells Harry that she's found a symbol. Then Harry sees it and says that Luna's dad was wearing the same one at Bill and Fleur's wedding, and they decide to go to Godric's Hollow after a little convincing from Harry, and Hermione says that she thinks that it's possible that the sword is hidden somewhere in Godric's Hollow, which is pretty much like the book, except for they don't go there seeking Bethilda. Exactly. Which is different because they haven't heard of the life and lives of Albus Dumbledore yet and they just haven't had that Harry hasn't had that conversation with people about who Bathilda is but they operate there and they don't use polyjuice potion which they point out that they didn't use polyjuice potion because Hermione's like I still think we should have used polyjuice potion and Harry's like yeah this is where I was born I'm not returning to someone else which I get but safety my dude like (laughs) you could have used polyjuice potion and it's, like, also, like, if you're going to deviate from the book, just don't mention it. Right. Just please don't mention <laughs> right. it. Don't call like her you, into you, it even you more. You didn't mention it the entire time of Half-Blood Prince when you left out the fucking plot. Like, don't mention <laughs> it right now. I do think it's, like, less of a detail than leaving out all of Voldemort's backstory. But, yeah, it's still... Like, okay. It wasn't necessary to talk about it. But then they go to the cemetery, and first they find the Deathly Hollow symbol on the Peverell name, and Harry sees his parents' grave, and Hermione makes a wreath, and it's very touching, and they say Merry Christmas before they realize that they're being watched by Bathilda. And Harry thinks that he knows who she is all of a sudden, but Hermione does not like it. No, she doesn't. Because she's smart. (laughs) And... Then they go in there, and we as viewers see them speaking in Parseltongue, which, in this whole sequence, first of all, I think the snake coming out of Bathilda was extremely well done. And also, it's fucking terrifying. Yeah, like, this whole scene used to, like, when I remember watching this for the first time in theaters and, like, 
the you anticipation of the scene was terrifying. I was so scared you to even watch. Out. And just, it was all really well done. Like, she's super creepy, staring at him, not saying anything. And Harry sees the picture of Grindelwald, like, in the book. And she's just not answering every time Harry asks a question. And then Harry, like, follows her upstairs. And Hermione finds the life and lives of Albus Dumbledore copy that was sent to Bethilda from Rita Skeeter. And then, yeah, she just, like, right when Harry sees a picture of Ariana in a scrapbook is when Nagini transforms into herself and it just becomes like fucking chaos and then we see Hermione finding something with flies buzzing around it and blood on the ceiling I'm like what is that is it like food that Nagini like dead people that Nagini was eating because it wasn't Bethilda's body ew maybe it was her insides I don't I don't know I don't like to think about it it's just fucking gross (laughs) well I mean there was like just blood splattered on the ceiling so I feel maybe it was like just Nagini's like den of people that she's killed but then Harry's like fending her off with the stool which I thought was hilarious and obviously failed (laughs) and then they're like breaking through walls and Harry I'm pretty sure is bitten but they don't talk about it and can we just pause to discuss the random nursery room in Bethilda's house see yes that shit is creepy I honestly think they broke through Bathilda's house and were in a neighbor's house and then it was kind of like a cute callback to Harry as a baby in Godric's Hollow but like why see I wasn't even thinking of row homes I was just thinking that she lived in a single family home and then she just had this weird ass fucking modern nursery that was completely opposite to her like dark dingy old lady home it was very jarring I really think that's like my Pittsburgh showing is that I automatically jump to a row home, but <laughs> you're just Pennsylvania in general right now. I, yeah, just <laughs> my Pittsburgh's just coming out right now. Um, no, really, that's exactly what I thought of though. Is just a callback, and even if it wasn't a row home, like I think that's what they were going for. Yeah, is like the last time Harry was in Godric's Hollow, he was a baby and he was attacked, and I think it's just a callback to that. I like that. I like that you thought of that because I, like, was just very confused. I could be wrong, but that's what I thought of. No, I think that, I mean, I think even if that's not, like, what the intent was, that's a really good observation and conclusion to draw. It was there purposefully or they wouldn't have done it. So you either pick up on it or you don't, and I think you did and I didn't. Right, like, they could have broken into a living room with people watching the news and, like, freaking out because a snake is attacking this teenager. <laughs> right. <laughs> But we should point out that Nagini does see that Harry is wearing the locket. Like, she recognizes it. She looks straight at the locket when she's talking to Harry. Right. Uh, But they continue to fight her off, and they're, like, hiding from her, and it just gets weird before they apparate out of the window, which is the same as in the book, but we don't get the whole Voldemort-Harry mind morph sequence or even Voldemort showing up at all. Which, honestly, like... I understand it's different from the book, and I know that I'm, like, a true canon person, but in this moment, just because of how fucking confusing that chapter is, like, I'm kind of glad we don't get that. Like, could you imagine? It's already confusing without Voldemort. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's it's confusing enough with, like, jumping from house to house and the entire fight sequence and Hermione finally getting up there and then apparating. Like, and then if we had added in this whole is Voldemort Harry or is Harry Voldemort sequence and like Harry seeing his parents get killed and I I just feel like it would have been too um 
exhilarating for the viewer. I, I just think in this moment, if they would have left it true to the book, it would it would just have been honestly too much. Like, you're doing way too much. I do get that. I just still wish that somehow we could have seen Voldemort's response and reaction to the information that he had yet again not caught Harry Potter and Harry had evaded him once again. And also, it was important because Voldemort found the picture of Grindelwald and right. knew who he was after at that point. Yeah. But I get what you're saying because it is just, it's a lot to ingest and it would be super confusing for the audience. But then they operate away and they're in the frozen forest of Dean when Hermione is telling Harry that the boy in the photograph is Grindelwald and gives Harry the copy of the Life and Lies of Albus Dumbledore that she got from Bethilda's. And then Hermione also informs Harry that his wand was destroyed. Yeah. I do really like, though, the conversation between Harry and Hermione in this moment about his wand being destroyed. I, although I do, I do really wish they had left in, like, oh, remember when Ron's wand got destroyed? Because they did call that out in the book, and they, they don't in this. But, yeah, that's about it. I feel like, other than when we were, like, not splitting these up as much, this is the longest stretch of content we kind of got in the film. Yeah. I do think that it was very well done and as close as they could have been to the film with, like, leaving a lot of important stuff in, but also, like, the stuff that they left out, they tried to make up for later. Right, right. So, like, stuff that they had left out before, they just kind of had to go with what they had given us before and try to, like, figure out a way to tie it in somehow. And I feel like, yes, it's not exactly how it is in the book, but... This is a film, and I think they did their best. I mean, yeah, I 100% agree with you. I mean, like J.K. Rowling has said in the past, she could put out a six-hour film, and people would still be like, well, you left this and this out, right? So what she did in these two last installments, it's just awesome. And the things that she does leave out are very minor, or like you said, are addressed and, yeah, I'm, I'm very satisfied with this stretch of film. Like, I, I did say at the beginning this is the most they've left out in the Deathly Hollows because I agree it is. Other than the Ariana backstory that we get later, I really do think that this little stretch is the most that they leave out. Yeah. And ultimately, and it's, still well it's still like a B plus. Right. So. Right, right. Yeah, it still passes. Yeah. It's still really, really good. <laughs> And it was really hard for me to pause. Oh, well, moment. I had to keep pausing because I feel like I'm being graded on my annotating and note-taking when I'm watching these films. I'm literally pausing every five seconds so I can, like, type True. stuff out. <laughs> True. I was much more detailed in my note-taking this time. Um, but at the end, I was like, oh, I just want to fucking watch. Like, I just... I know. And it's so hard because we're, like, two-thirds to, like, three-fourths of the way through the first part now. And I was just like, it's so close. I just want to get to the end of this, but... I did not. Right. But yeah, that concludes our second comparison of the seventh book and film. Uh, as always, you can find us at HP Half Drunk on Instagram and Twitter and Harry Potter and the Half Drunk podcast on Facebook. And be sure to join our Facebook group. Yep. And you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. You can also find us on Spotify or Stitcher, or basically anywhere you find your podcast. You can also listen to the direct download link that we post each week with the episode. Feel free to give us your thoughts, leave us a rating, leave us a review. We've gotten a lot of 
comments from you guys the past few days and we've gotten a lot of <laughs> responses on our question of what we should name our quarantine series so yes we will have to figure that out before saturday but uh, <laughs> we should have a name by then hopefully and also let us know in the future what characters you'd like us to kind of go into on our bonus episodes because it looks like we're gonna have a few more weeks than we thought so <laughs> let us know all right. Have a great week. Cheers. Mischief managed. Mischief managed.